Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. We got a two-hour blockbuster broadcast happening right now, ladies and gentlemen. This is the broadcast for March 8th. Our goal to promote God, family, and country and protect life, liberty, and property. Lance Miliacho with me. George Valentin with me. They're co-hosts of the BigMig.com radio and TV program. We're talking about the tip of the spear, folks. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. We've got John Thaler with us, Esquire, if you will. He's with Harris Thaler Law Corp. He's an attorney. He's an investigative expert, to say the least. We've also got Jacqueline Fine uh, Brigger with us, and she is a chief investigator with him. The quick summary, ladies and gentlemen, is they're the ones that broke the story in Arizona where they testified before the committees about the Sinaloa drug cartels, trafficking cartels, literally in bed with government officials everywhere, uh, including virtually controlling Mesa, Arizona. They started out investigating insurance fraud. Eventually, John marries Brittany Chavez, finds out things are not what he thought they were, and the plot continues to thicken from there. They're still married because even though there's a divorce decree on file, it's fraudulently signed. John had a child with Brittany that now uh, the child's in hiding. John hasn't seen his son in 28-plus months, folks. The plot thickens. Brittany wanted to get out of the drug cartel uh, fraudulent document business. She had hoped, but she wasn't willing to come clean on her family. Thus, she never got the protection she was seeking. John, as the plot thickened, wanted to give her a chance at first. Uh, But then, of course, things went south as she wouldn't stand to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, John... As we come back to this discussion, then, uh, can you see Brittany or do you see Brittany or is there any uh, interaction between you two now? Uh, no. Well, th- let's put it this way. I, if there were any interaction, I wouldn't talk about it and I wouldn't talk about it you know, publicly. I would say this. The biggest problem that Brittany faced is that once she came to me and asked for witness protection, she, that wasn't her first attempt at it. And so there were other attempts that she was making to talk to lawyers and to see what her options were. And the problem was is that family members at this point were literally GPSing her car. They were following her around. They were looking to see if she was trying to get out. And so the problem was is that from roughly about December of 2019 to the present, we have not been able to be together because of threats made that if we were together, something would happen to me, to her, to McKinley. And let me, let me go back a step because I want to make something a little bit clear about this. You know, by the time I got into early 2019 and could see that there were other forms of fraud here, it wasn't just a bunch of deeds, but there was also the insurance fraud, the bankruptcy fraud, the payroll theft, et cetera. I had clients who it appeared, you know, clients from long, you know, long time clients who appeared to be victims in some of the payroll theft fraud. So those clients were the ones who originally retained our services to look at the fraud. So we were looking at both insurance fraud, which was insurance from within, from being an employee, where people were paying for you know, large amounts of life insurance and then collecting on policies through fake deaths, things like that. So the story got, went off in a number of different directions. 
Um, with respect to, to Brittany and me, one of the things that happened was that she was threatened that she couldn't see me because there were fears that she was passing information on to me. And in fact, she wasn't just passing information on to me. She was passing it on to myself and she was passing it on to Ms. Brager as well. Um, so there were, there were a number of ways that Brittany did this. I won't get into the details. One of the reasons, you know, people have kind of said, oh, he's just here to, to sell a book. You know, he's just here to complain about his custody problems. No. When we do a long-term investigation, which sometimes happens, sometimes we crack a case in a, in a day, sometimes in a month, sometimes it's years, depending on what's, what's involved. In this particular case, what we do at the end, when we're kind of reaching the end, is we do what we really call a compendium, not even a book. And the idea is just to provide a narrative of what the investigation was from when it began, how it began, to where it got, how it got there, attaching documents to every part. So instead of the kind of presentation that, you know, everybody saw with Ms. Brager in front of, you know, a, a, a Senate and House committee in Arizona, what you'll get in terms of the book, which, again, was not really intended for public sale. It was really intended for us, for clients, for judges, for investigators who were investigating this so that they could come up to speed very quickly, is you get about 300 pages of narrative tied directly to about 3,000 pages of documents. So you can see in real time exactly what was going on, exactly what we found, when we found it, who found it, who evaluated it. This has been one of the other things. I've had people you know, write me and say, you don't even have a law office. Okay, well, that's kind of odd for my clients who I handle every day. Um, then they say, well, you don't have any other investigators. You don't have any workers. I can tell you that at least 12 different people have been directly involved in this case, have reviewed documents either with a specific expertise or with specific backgrounds involved, 12 different people. Um, we don't ever come out with anything. We don't ever say anything. We don't ever come out publicly, and we don't even make presentations to our clients if we have not vetted all the information that we deal with. And when you're dealing with you know, what's now, uh, we've said 120,000, but I think we're up to about 150,000 pages of documents that we reviewed. We are very careful that a number of different people review this with us, including lawyers, including other lawyers, including financial experts, including you know, question documents experts, before we release anything. Um, we don't do this blindly, and we don't say this stuff just to say this stuff. In terms of custody, because I just want to say one more thing about custody, and I'll leave it open to all of your questions. Uh, I had custody of McKinley. That was not a problem. This was not a custody battle. People don't understand that abduction happens all the time. It's extremely common, and it is horrible and damaging to any child who has to go through it. My concern is for whatever's in McKinley's best interest, and that is to have both parents in his life, just like when my first wife and I divorced, our son was in both of our lives 50-50. You know, I was mostly his primary caregiver because she was a corporate executive who worked and traveled a lot. That's how you do things. You parent a child together. What's happened here is, is not only has McKinley been kept from me, he's been kept from his half-brother, he's been kept from his aunt, my sister, he's been kept from Ms. Brager, who, who he, McKinley developed a relationship with, he's been kept from Ms. Brager's uh, daughters who babysat him constantly, he's been kept from everyone except for the Chavez family. Nobody's allowed to see him. Nobody's allowed to talk to him. And on one occasion when it was his birthday and a couple of people attempted to bring gifts to him for his birthday, they were threatened with the police and then the police were actually called. Um, that's how bad this situation is and it's unfortunate. But it doesn't change the fact, unfortunately, that this is all revolving around a series of organized you know, racketeering activities. 
Lance? Listen, uh, Sam, as you know, the big MIG show team got, you know, way ahead on this story. And I have to say this just because I really, truly believe uh, Ms. Breger and Mr. Thaler. I, I support them 100%. I am convinced 100% of the product they're providing. They've been attacked nonstop. My threads have been attacked. If you go over to the, our Twitter account, The Big Mig Show, you'll find all sorts of information if there's any confusion. We've been posting lots and lots of specific evidence related to this case. You know, but I, I want to say this. There's a statement that was made by Ms. Breger, and I also believe in different versions by Mr. Thaler, that I want to read. It came in from one of our followers, Kim Wexler. And this really kind of sums it up in one sentence. The business of the Sinaloa cartel is drug trafficking and human trafficking. It's a multi-billion dollar business. Wanting to keep the doors open, so to speak, is vital. They want those borders open, with Arizona being a border state. They made sure that they have significant control over individuals in Arizona who will allow them to do that. Now, I want to I direct this question to Ms. Breger because Kim Wexler actually uh, asked me to, to present this morning, and I've seen this as a recurring theme, which I think it's really great that we're getting these kind of direct questions. So uh, she wants to know if you can discuss, number one, evidence of fake state employees on the rolls, especially voter counts. Who was supposed to be counting ballots and can they be found? Also, Runbeck, any evidence concerning the 2022 election? So, uh, Ms. Breger, you, you have done so much research, and I want to give you a chance. We have obviously haven't given you a chance to talk. You're, you're just a, 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 a cornucopia of unlimited amounts of investigative material. So go ahead, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Um, well, you know, I, I don't think that that's a surprise, you know, that the Sinaloa cartel, you know, business is, is drug and human trafficking. I mean, everybody knows that, and everybody knows it's a billion-dollar business. So, you know... Um, I, you know, I, I think that that's been that's been stated by you know Carrie Lake. It was stated, I think, on one of uh, Pete Santelli's shows by Victor Avia. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a very um, you know well known situation that those borders could not be closed. I mean, that's why Carrie Lake could not be governor because her whole, she ran on that exact issue. The first thing she was going to do was go and shut down the borders, um, which could not happen. So. You know, if you are running a billion-dollar business and someone is threatening to shut down your your, your distribution channel to your market, um, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that that does not happen. And you know that, as I say, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything that the public don't already know. And you know, so um, uh, Carrie Lake actually said in, in an interview yesterday that you know exactly what I'm saying that you know there, there was no way they were going to allow her to be governor. Um, and with that kind of um, finance, you know, those kinds of financial resources at your disposal, you will utilize those um, to make sure that that you have, you know, you have the say and you have the power to do whatever you need to do to keep your business going. So, you know, um, you know, and and in light of that, obviously, um, when you're looking at things like runback, when you're looking at things like the people who are there. You know, managing the you know the, the the supervisors and people that are managing the ballot counts and so on and so forth. You know, the people on the ground, so to speak, that are actually in the process of you know telling the votes or you know um, dealing with the the, the, the uh, machines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, then you want to look. You know, those people have to be looked at first. And as Mr. Thaler and I have said numerous times, 
our findings are based on research and document analysis and um, looking at you know phone records, looking at whatever data we can accumulate. But we do not have the authority to go in and, you know, we don't have subpoena authority. We don't have um, the authority to get search warrants. We don't have the authority to interrogate individuals. So I can tell you from our research, you know, that Runbeck looks suspicious. I can tell you from our research that that Teddy Hobbs looks suspicious. But I cannot tell you, you know, that 100% that that's, you know, that they are guilty. What I can say is there's enough suspicion and there's enough issues with their documents to warrant a full-scale investigation. Yeah, we are beyond probable causes, the point. Let me ask you this, Ms. Brigger, to kind of uh, hammer this home. At some point, if the state of Arizona, and specifically the city of Mesa, is so in bed with the Sinaloa drug trafficking cartels, and they've got so much... uh, provable evidence against them i guess the question really needs to be asked who the heck can get above this to call account and to create prosecutions and real uh in other words it's one thing to investigate and prove it it's another thing to prosecute um do we have any prayer prosecution here well let me let me try to answer that a little bit yeah, let, well, let me let me try to answer that a little bit because because uh, I handle because you know, I, I have the legal background, et cetera. Um, one of the things to note is that Arizona, the state of Arizona, actually conducted an audit of itself back in 2009, 2010, and it hired an outside accounting firm to do the audit. And they were looking specifically to see if, in those days, if organized crime monies, it was not directed at cartel at that point, but if organized crime monies had penetrated state agencies and were being laundered through state agencies. And the answer turned out to be, I had nothing to do with this investigation. This was a separate investigation. The answer turned out to be yes. That's exactly what happened. And there were a couple of indictments. There were a couple of people charged. There were a couple of people who actually were convicted and sentenced. One of the things in doing the investigation that we've done is we've talked to these forensic accountants about their investigation. And one of the first things they said to us, and this was probably about two years ago now, is they said, if you are looking to find help in the state of Arizona, you are wasting your time because the levels of corruption that are in this state are so severe that you don't know who you can trust, you don't know who you can't trust, and nothing will ever happen. If you want something done, you're going to have to go to outside agencies, basically federal agencies, or nothing's going to happen at all. That was the admonition to us two years ago. But, John, the federal agencies are just as corrupt and just as in bed with the cartels. Well, and certainly what we've seen in the last couple of years does not give a lot of people a lot of hope for anything here. Uh, It certainly doesn't. Now, having said that, so that the audience doesn't go away today, you know, feeling totally hopeless, it's not as hopeless as that. There are a lot of federal agencies. People don't realize. We talked about the FBI, obviously. That's been in the news a lot. We talked about the Justice Department. That's been in the news a lot. There's been a lot of criticism laid at both, and a lot of it is extraordinarily fair, uh, maybe, even, maybe even not enough criticism. However, they're not the only agencies. There are a lot of different agencies of the federal government who we work with. Most people wouldn't know this, but there's actually something called the Office of the United States Bankruptcy Trustee, which is an investigative body that specifically investigates bankruptcy fraud. And their, fi- their dog in the fight is not political at all. It's did this person actually file these papers? You know, did, did these people actually pay this money? Did this actually happen? Did that actually happen? 
There's the Internal Revenue Service, which investigates the tax crimes. They don't care what your politics are. They care whether or not there was money that can be collected. Um, there are a whole assortment. There's a Federal Trade Commission. There's the SEC. So as much as there are problems with agencies, and you and I would totally agree on, on that point, there are a lot of different agencies that have jurisdiction over the kinds of things that we have found here, whether it be insurance or whether it be payroll theft. But I'll give you one more thing to be positive about. The clients that we have are, are in this case, are businesses. They are not political machines. They don't support particular political candidates. They are not political action committees. They are businesses. They are large-scale businesses who have been ripped off by these schemes, whether it's been Metropolitan Life who got ripped off in the, some of the, the life insurance fraud or whether it be Dignity Health, who we've mentioned before, who have been ripped off by having falsified employees taking pay, payroll, taking payroll checks from them. You have enough large-scale employers here who have been damaged specifically by this that ultimately what they're likely to do is say to the state of Arizona, if you don't clean this up, we're out of here. And the, the worst thing that could happen to the state of Arizona is not so much what's happened now. It's that you start seeing businesses doing what, what Elon Musk did in California, where you pick up your ball and you go somewhere else. Because if you cannot trust the system, you're not going to stay there. When you're getting ripped off by phony employees on your payroll and phony paycheck, real paychecks being paid to phony employees, you're not staying in that state if that state's not protecting you. And ultimately what's going to happen is the state of Arizona is going to find that businesses more than anyone else, private sector more than anyone else, is going to deal with this in a way that goes kind of beyond what we could do and, and in a way that goes beyond what law enforcement could do. And they're going to demand investigations. They're going to demand that action take place. They're going to demand that the AG's office do something. And it's going to be very hard for you know, some of the, especially the state agencies in Arizona, to sit back and do what they've traditionally done, absolutely nothing. Because these businesses will pick up and leave if this continues. I pray you're right about that, John. George. Thank you, Sam. Um, I just want to touch on a couple things. But in defense of uh, Mr. Thaler and Mrs. Uh, Brieger, they doing work for insurance companies and auto insurance, life insurance, payroll theft, and money laundering. They're not going to ruin their reputations and their credibility and make false claims when doing work for these type of big corporations. So this is why I stand with them 100%. I, you know, me and Lance and Big Meg, we believe them. So quick question. If in Carrie Lake's trial, you had Maricopa Elections Director Scott Jarrett and, and a county technical witness, Ryan, I think is Macias, testified that the ballot sizing mistake was not intentional. So I know in your report, you're talking about the Maricopa database had no integrity, that you like ballot counts were been tampered with. And then specifically in 2020 election, 2022 election, the ballot scanners printers at 70% of precincts suffered changes to the printer settings despite being tested. You said these uh, changes were made through computer infiltration, not manually. Now, we also know it happened in 2020 because um, they stated that in Carrie Lake's trial. How do we know, how, how you, all right, how do we know or tell these listeners 100% that it was done by computer infiltration? Is that proven? Can that be proven? Yeah, let me, let me, explain, yeah, let me explain a little. Yeah, let me yeah. explain a little of that. Okay, there's two parts to that. Part one of that is, is that there are other investigations going on. We're not the only one in town. We're just the ones that came forward and were asked to come. We, you know, we didn't volunteer for this mission. You know, we were asked to come and present the findings that we had to date you know, to the legislature, and we did. 
we're not the only investigation in town. And if any of these folks think that somehow swatting at us is going to make any difference, yeah, you're wasting your time. We're not the only we're not the only ones in this. So we know from other investigations because people we, we folks do talk to each other. We don't tell each other everything, but we do talk to each other. We know what other investigations are looking at and what specifically they're looking at. I won't comment on any further, but we're not it. But I will tell you this: look, the way in which the system works. So for those people who are not in Arizona, who are not in Maricopa County, let me explain what we're talking about here. When you, when you go and you vote in Maricopa County, you go to the precinct, the assigned precinct, and you go and vote, uh, you fill out a ballot. You basically you know, fill in the dots. Though that, that ballot, once you're finished with that, goes into a scanner. It looks like, you know, it's like a printer scanner that you would see anywhere. Uh, in fact, Maricopa County is very big on using printer scanners everywhere, including, by the way, at the regular recorder's office. You bring in a deed, they scan the deed. That's how this works in Maricopa County. So when you're done with your ballot, you put it through the scanner, the scanner reads it, and you get a receipt back saying you voted, you know, you, you voted that day. That's how it works. Now, if your ballot, for some reason, when it goes in the scanner, can't be counted, for whatever the reason, it doesn't matter, there's a torn corner on it, something doesn't work, it can't read it properly, so whatever goes wrong, it doesn't matter what it is, that ballot goes into a separate box, and it's placed there for counting later. That box is called box three. So every precinct has a box three of ballots that couldn't be scanned for whatever the reason. In any election, there's always going to be a certain small percentage of ballots that just don't scan for whatever the reason, the way somebody colored outside the lines can do it. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be some small percentage. What happened in this particular case was that despite the, the statements, because nobody's seen documents on this, despite the statements that the night before all of these printer scanners were tested, to make sure that they worked, make sure they had ink in them, make sure that they functioned properly, had all the proper settings, even though these were allegedly tested the night before, out of 70 out of, I believe it's 235 precincts or 237 precincts in Maricopa County, 70 of the precincts had total scanner failure. So it means it's not, it's, it's, think of it this way. If you went out tomorrow and you bought 235 Corvettes and the next morning you put them in a lot Next morning, you come out, and you start at all of them. What are the odds that 70 of them don't start? If the night before you drove them, and you drove them to the lot that you, that you have, and you put them all in there, what are the chances of 70 not starting the next day? Well, that's essentially what happened here. So there is no way for that to have occurred, for the same exact problem to occur in every single printer, in each one of these 70 precincts, in the absence of fraud. It is literally a statistical impossibility. Now, what I have said about this is, it doesn't matter whether you think the Chinese did it, whether you think the Russians did it, or whether you think some 15-year-old who got a computer for his birthday did it. The fact is, it was fraud, period. And to this day, neither the Attorney General's office, nor anyone else for that matter, can get an answer on who did it and how it happened. So you have to start with the fact that this was already fraud no matter what. The question is, is who did it? And of course, the only folks who are not looking at who did it are of course the people who A, got the benefit of it and wound up B, in office. That's the problem we have. Now, we then look at, you know, and of course we're late to the game on this. We started looking at election stuff basically in November of 2022 you know, after these things happen. But we knew darn well, because we do statistical analysis, that there's no way this happened in the absence of fraud. 
So the first thing that happens is a letter goes from the Attorney General's office in Arizona to Maricopa County saying, explain this. You think Maricopa County sent a letter back explaining anything? Not a chance. To this day, no explanation for this whatsoever. So that's where your starting point is. I mean, I mean starting point. Now, since that occurred, you can't get data. You can't find out who signed for the, who did the testing the day before. You can't find out who signed off on the testing the day before. You can't look at the printer settings, printer scanner settings. You can't find out what line they were on. In other words, what T1 line All they right, were John on. All right, John Thaler, he, hold on. I got a hard break we got to take. We'll come right back. Liberty Roundtable Live. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. If you don't know scientist George Vernon Hudson, you know his work from the late 1800s. It's daylight savings time, and yeah, we're there once again. Arizona and Hawaii don't play, and you wouldn't have to either, but a year ago, after Republican Senator Marco Rubio and others passed the Sunshine Protection Act in the Senate, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi refused to bring it up for a vote in the House. Rubio has reintroduced the bill this year, so there is still hope that this partisan project will move forward. Nonetheless, clocks will move forward one hour very early Sunday morning. Mexican officials have arrested a suspect in connection with the kidnappings of four U.S. citizens, two of which were murdered. 24-year-old Jose Guadalupe was guarding the house where cartel members held captive and tortured the four Americans. The White House yesterday. Attacks on U.S. citizens are unacceptable. No matter where or under what circumstances they happen, we will continue to work closely with the Mexican government to ensure justice is done in this case. The victims were discovered in a wooden shack in Ujido, Tecolote, a suburb east of the Mexican city of Matamoros. Authorities have not revealed if Guadalupe is part of the Gulf Cartel, the gang accused of the kidnappings and murders. The Federal Trade Commission has insisted Twitter turn over all internal communications related to owner Elon Musk, as well as detailed information about layoffs. The FTC says they're concerned that staff reductions could compromise the company's ability to protect users. In 12 letters sent to Twitter and its lawyers since Musk's takeover, the FTC also demanded the company identify all journalists granted access to the company records. It's launch day at Cape Canaveral, Florida. The first fully reusable, entirely 3D-printed rocket, Tehran-1, will make history. USA News. Non-attorney spokesperson, ad sponsored by Open Jar Concepts. Attention veterans and active duty military. If you were issued earplugs between 2002 and 2016 and were diagnosed with hearing loss or ringing in the ears, you may be entitled to compensation. The manufacturer of these military earplugs recently paid $9.1 million to resolve claims that their earplugs were defective, potentially exposing service members to damaging sound levels that could have resulted in hearing loss or tinnitus. If you or a loved one were issued earplugs and were diagnosed with tinnitus or hearing loss, don't wait. You fought for this country, and our attorneys want to fight for you. Call 800-958-2145 now for a free legal consultation and to see if you may be eligible to file a claim. Time restrictions may apply, and you pay nothing unless there's a recovery in your favor. So call 800-958-2145 now. Again, 800-958-2145. That's 800-958-2145. 
Back with your live, ladies and gentlemen. This assorted tale is hard to navigate, complicated to understand, to say the least. John Thaler with us. He's an attorney. He's an investigator. And he's telling the story about this election fraud scenario. Uh, look, the chances of this being a mistake is bogus. It's flat-out fraud. They know it. The only question left is who done it, John. Yeah, and that's the whole point. The point of it is, is that there is no way this was done in the absence of fraud. The question is, is who did it? And you, as you can see, you see anybody in the legislature clamoring to find out? Not a person. Uh, the AG's office originally did try this. The Attorney General's office did try this with the person who was in charge of elections. She tried. She sent a very well put together letter to Maricopa County specifically asking exactly what happened about a very specific set of stuff. She wanted very specific data and got no response. I mean, that's been the problem is that anybody who tries to investigate any of this is basically you know, squeezed out of their job uh, or squeezed out of the legislature, uh, you know, basically never to be heard from again, at least not, not in the areas of election fraud. So the problem has been is that anybody who comes before a committee you know, is going to have you know, what happened you know, to, to Ms. Breger and myself happen to them, and that keeps everybody from coming forward. So the people who do know won't come forward. The people who don't know can't investigate. And that's been the story. That's been the story of Maricopa County, and it's been the story of Arizona. And frankly, it's kind of disgusting at this point. Um, but let me explain why for a second, because I think it's something else for your audience to understand, especially for the people who do not live in Arizona. Arizona is now a state that is dependent economically on the cartels. They are dependent economically on the cartels. What I mean by that is, is that the cash flow that goes through the state of Arizona is what pays for the state of Arizona. Even though, obviously, there's illegal monies that are put in cash houses and stash houses and you know, bought through properties, properties are being bought. Commissions get paid to real estate agents. People go to dinner. They buy cars. They buy their own houses with this. So the money that starts off illegally winds up essentially, ultimately, coming into the system, getting taxed like any other transactional you know, situation, and that money goes into the coffers of the state of Arizona. If you shut down the border tomorrow, if you stop the drugs, if you stop the cartel tomorrow, the state of Arizona would be in bankruptcy. They would literally collapse from no money. So the whole problem here is that this has gone on for so long and it becomes so bad that nobody wants to do anything about it, especially in the legislature, because they know they would literally have no state to govern the next day. But isn't this truly a national situation that's very similar indeed? Yes, and let's talk about that for a second. You know, one of the questions that always comes up with me because this came up in a 2011 investigation is why do we have a heroin problem in the state of New Hampshire, of all places? And it's because a distributor for one of the cartels, for the Guadalajara cartel, basically had a business just on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire and flooded New Hampshire because it was convenient with drugs. That's how you got drugs there. This is a national problem. State after state after state, especially border states for sure, have this problem, especially in inner cities. And where this becomes so important is not just because we have, you know, now what, several hundred thousand, I think 170,000 at last count, you know, you know, kids dying of fentanyl overdose. It's not just because of that, but that's huge. And that should turn everybody's stomach. But it's also that the ability to affect elections is not something that has to be done on a statewide basis. Um, there's a lot of testimony that's been given to this over the years, and even Democrats in the House of Representatives and Congress have said, 
if you want to affect an election, the outcome of an entire presidential election, just find key counties in key states, in you know, essentially what we call purple states, and, and screw up the system there. Take control of the system there. You only need one or two counties in three or four states to totally change the outcome of a presidential election. That's the danger we have here. So we have the danger of narco dollars now basically controlling everything. You certainly have the problem of narco dollars being so infested into states that states can't get out of it. It's kind of, I call it like the cigarette tax. Why don't we just ban cigarettes if they're evil? Because we can't. We tax them and we take money from them. Same thing with liquor. We tax it and we take money from it. Now we don't obviously specifically tax drugs, except now we do with marijuana. So we've already done that. Now we tax marijuana. You couldn't make marijuana illegal tomorrow because of the tax monies that come from it. Well, we obviously don't tax cocaine or methamphetamine or, or fentanyl. Not but what yet, we sir. do is we not yet, yeah, yeah, exactly, not yet. Although states, some states are trying, but what you wind up with is yeah. you wind up with the dollars coming from those sales, from the distribution of that cash once it's been laundered into the system, and that provides multi millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not close to a billion into the revenues of the state of Arizona and into the revenues of other, of other states. And that's what you're seeing. That's the danger. And that leads to the control, ultimately, of those three or four counties that you need in order to affect elections. So it's an infiltration. It wasn't, probably wasn't even so much planned. I'll, I'll, let me say one more thing about this. People need to understand the cartel's a business. It's not, it's not a drug empire. It's a business. It's no different than IBM or DuPont or Apple for that matter. It's in the business of making money. I've said this before. If pork bellies yielded a higher profit than fentanyl, you'd all be eating bacon in the state of Arizona. You're not because the profit margins on drugs are as high as they are. It's a business. And if you're going to have a business, you're going to have what? Lobbyists. You're going to have influencers. You're going to buy yourself politicians. This is how every business operates. It's how it works. The only problem is, You're going to squeeze out case, competition. You're going to, and it goes on and on that's and on right. and on. Jacqueline and it goes on and on and on. That's the danger. Jacqueline Brieger, question for you. You had explosive testimony. The mainstream press virtually didn't cover it. What kind of follow-up have you had to take these investigations to the next level? You, you distributed a booklet so they could get their handle on everything. Has there been any follow-up? Are we going to go to the next level? Or have they simply kind of went, oh, that was neat. Goodbye. Where are we at on that, Ms. Brieger? The follow-up has been to try and sweep it all under the rug. Um, you know, the follow-up has been to um, and to put Liz Harris, you know, the, the representative Liz Harris, up uh, in front of an ethics committee. The you know the follow-up is trying to squash this entire story or discredit it, um, which is you know, in a way to be expected, but in a way disgusting. I mean, there has not been one single call to myself or to Mr. Thaler from one legislator to say, you know what, I just want to understand this better. Let me sit down with you. You know, there is no way I could sum up a three and a half year investigation in 20 minutes and give every single last detail. I was asked specifically to speak on what we had discovered in terms of election fraud. And so I had to be, you know, very precise and speak on to that issue. Um, as, you know, as Mr. Taylor shared with you, a lot of the history, you know, in today's call. Um, but nobody has come forward and said, let me understand more. Let me, let me even try and dispel these issues. You know, 
let me prove you wrong. Let me prove you right. Whatever it is, let me investigate further. Yeah, and I've done more on this radio program. I've done more on this radio program than all of them put together is the summation, ladies and gentlemen. Put that in your thought process. Lance? Well, listen, we know that they don't want to touch the story with a 10-foot pole. There was many that we actually, uh, when we were getting ready to interview Ms. Breger on uh, Twitter Spaces and Mr. Thaler, we invited lots of politicians to join the community and come on. We had 31,000 people tuned in. They're not going to do anything about it. You know, my question is, Sam, you know, this this investigation, I believe, goes uh, way past Arizona. It's in 21 or 22 states. This money laundering organization is national. What about the sheriffs? What do you think, Sam, the constitutional sheriffs? Wouldn't they all be interested in finding out in their specific counties what in this investigation is actually outlined that would be really relevant to them? They might have chargeable offenses and crimes that they could easily investigate on their own behalf. And you know what? Sorry, yes, I think that's true that. on a specific on a specific sheriff cases. I think that's true in some of the smaller counties. But we'll get into this in a second, Ms. Brayer. But I'm convinced that, look, most of the law enforcement are as corrupt as the rest or most of this would have been stopped a long time ago. Well, you know, the other thing that I have, uh, I have been inundated, inundated with calls. My, my phone does not stop for one second with calls, emails, texts messages through our website, no matter however anybody can get in touch with me, from all over the country with stories saying that they have had XYZ happen and where you know and whatever it it what I said in my in my presentation totally resonated with their experience. And that is you know, that is also frightening because it's not just Arizona. I mean Arizona happens to be an epicenter of it and and you know, very, very infiltrated. But I'm getting calls from people in Florida, in, um, you know, in, in the Midwest, in um, California, all over Hawaii. I got a call from someone yesterday. I mean, it is everywhere. You know, look at the amount of victims we're talking about, Sam. It seems like with that many victims, law enforcement should be doing their job. But I agree with you. Uh, we've got so much corruption at the, you know, at the congressional level inside the states, the law enforcement, the judicial systems. And we're talking about state and federal. I don't know how we fix this, but we absolutely need to address this issue because, you know, look, look, the cartels at this point, they seem to have incredible influence nationally on who gets elected, how they get elected and how big the margin is that they win with. Well, I, Ms. I can Ms. tell you guys Th that Brayer, I, I have, about that. I have, Go ahead, well, I, I've received I've received calls from from sheriffs, uh, you know, not just in Arizona, but certainly in Arizona, who have set, are at their wits' end, you know, who know this is going on within their counties, you know, have gotten no help whatsoever from the attorney general's office or from any other, you know, especially in Arizona, any other law enforcement community, and are looking for ways to gather evidence. You know, to be able to present to grand juries, be able to get indictments and, and ultimately convictions. And, you know, if it has to start small, then it does. I, I, like I said, we were not in this for, for the law enforcement part of it. What, what we do is we investigate for clients who believe that they're getting ripped off in some way uh, and can't figure out how it's going or, or why it's not stopping. That's essentially what we do. It's a large part of what we do. You know, we also have a whole lot of other clients who love us where I, I represent them in all hosts of matters that have nothing to do with anything racketeering. 
But when it comes to racketeering, it's something we specialize in. It's something I specialize in, and we investigate. And part of what we do is we talk to the clients in advance about what we might find and about going to the police and going to law enforcement. Some clients are very big on doing so. They, they want, you know, they want uh, you know, the, the perpetrators caught and, and, and certainly arrested and convicted and thrown in jail. Some of them, for privacy reasons and sometimes for their own internal security reasons, don't want to do that. Uh, you know, so it's a, it's a mixed bag. Remember, we work for them, and my job is to do what they, what they ask. So our job was never here to, to raise you know, anything with law enforcement except to the degree that our clients allowed us to do so. In this case, starting roughly in 2021, after about two years of investigation, a number of my clients said, yeah, this is such a big problem, and trying to get you know, our, our handle on it is so, is so large scale that, yes, we, we appreciate you going to law enforcement. And we did. And that meant going to attorneys general's office. It meant going to federal offices. It meant having the right meetings, et cetera, and taking certain legal actions in other states. So, you know, it's funny. Most people have done this kind of dumpster dive of whatever I may or may not have filed uh, in the state of Arizona. What they don't realize is that for things that are filed in the state of Arizona, there are filings in other states and other counties directly on these issues where we've been able to stop the progression in, in a number of cases, uh, you know, of some of the fraud going on. We've been able to stop some of the payroll theft. We've been able to stop some of the insurance fraud and some of the bankruptcy fraud by having the meetings we've had. So not everybody is, is out to lunch on this. But certainly in the state of Arizona, in the state of Arizona for sure, you know, you're going to have to start from the ground up. And that means looking at this on the local level, both local communities and certainly in counties, and having sheriffs who are willing you know, to go after this, to clean up their counties, you know, look at this as a localized issue and prosecute it on that basis. Look, if you could scare enough people out of this, you know, you'll slowly push this out of Arizona. But as I've said before, until you figure out a plan to secure the border, until you figure out a plan to keep drugs out, and by the way, that also works on the user end, figure out a plan of how you're going to reduce user need. You know, if you still have a demand for fentanyl, fentanyl is going to get here. If you, just like if you have a demand for cocaine or methamphetamine, it's going to get here, and you can't stop that. So you've got to work all of these different angles to ultimately shut this down. But in the meantime, you can certainly make it better by starting with the local crimes that have been committed and working your way out. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What we're talking about is Arizona racketeering exposed, ladies and gentlemen. Elections in crisis over bribes. That's just one aspect to this massive case of evidence revealed, George. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, the, I mean, the corruption is not only in Arizona, it's across multiple states, and we're in a premise of will anything get done, and that's the biggest dilemma. We've seen multiple times our judicial system is corrupt. Nothing, nothing gets done. It's, it's rules for thee, but not for me. And, you know, what's our next steps to preserve our freedoms in this country? And one of the most important things is, you know, free and fair elections. I mean, I don't know, Sam. It's, it's, it's tough right now, but I can say a lot of people are working diligently behind the scenes, working to make those corrections. And it's just, it's, we're going to need a whole ton of unity. We have to all come together, support each other to get this done. You know, there's... Amen to that. There's you know, Lance, without just God, not going to work. Without God, I don't know that we can fix it, Lance. It's too big, buddy. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all have to turn to God in this situation, uh, you know, because I don't see a cavalry, cavalry, I don't see a white knight. I, I just, and I don't, at this point, there's so many law enforcement agencies that the corruption is just pouring down from the top. You know, they're weaponized against we the people. So, Sam, I've got my fingers crossed, you know, I pray every night that something's going to come down the pike to help us. But I, I just want to say that what's important is that People are heroic and take action like Ms. Brieger, like Mr. Thaler, and they're out there letting us know the depth of this. And the truth is everyone, every listener you have, every follower we have, everyone needs to call and push on Washington, D.C. and their own state agencies over and over again. Call, write, do everything you can to put an unlimited amount of pressure on them. Let's make them as uneasy as possible. Miss Brager, let's talk to you for a second. I don't know that we can get out of this mess without God Almighty or something like that. This is just too massive, too many multi-threaded, too many uh, people uh, are in jeopardy where they will fight against this tooth and nail. They've just got too many resources and too much. Uh, I'm afraid that it's going to take God to, to help us out of this thing. I agree. I mean, absolutely. It's going to take God to help us out of this for sure. Um it's also, uh, you know, something that, that you just said, it's vital that we do all come together. There are so many different factions of, you know, different, <clears throat> different you know, beliefs, different areas, and also to just open the conversation. You know, everybody is so, so quick to jump down everyone else's throat instead of le letting people just discuss and have a conversation. You know, I, as Mr. Thaler and I have said to many people who have contacted us and said, we're skeptical or we don't believe you or whatever. And we said, good. We hope you're skeptical. We want you to be skeptical. We want you to dig deeper. We want you to look at what we've, you know, what we've uncovered and, and you know, with a critical eye. So that, you know, at the end of the day, the truth, you know, prevails. And that's, that was the only, you know, that was the reason that I came forward was, you know, I'm not, I'm not as anyone, as I'm sure you've heard in, you know, in the previous interviews and stuff, I am not a political activist. I, um, I don't even um, align with any parties, you know, specifically. I've always been a swing voter. Um, I am an immigrant as well. So, you know, my, my understanding of American politics is, you know, somewhat limited. Um, I came here as an adult. Um, so, you know, that was never my motivation for coming and standing up in front of that committee. Um, my motivation was, was the children, the children. You know, there are too many children who are dying of fentanyl overdoses. There are too many children who are being trafficked. There are too many children who are being um, absconded or, you know, as in the case of, of Mr. Thaler's son, you know, and used as leverage um, for political or financial gain. Um, you know, it's got to stop. That has to stop. Um, there are too many innocent children who are getting caught up in adult nonsense, honestly. <laughs> um, Mr. Thaler hasn't not only seen his son, okay, for two and a half years. He hasn't even had a photograph. He hasn't had a telephone conversation. He, in fact, doesn't know for, you know, for fact that he's alive or dead or that he's even in Arizona or where he is. That's horrific. Well, and that brings up the flight risk uh, reality of Brittany as well. Part of the problem is if we don't get a handle on some of this very quickly, uh, Brittany may just uh, go to Mexico or get protection or be gone. Uh, John Thayer, there's something to that concern, too. Um, I don't know if there's an urgency here by anybody, but, man, that, that to me seems like the quintessential point. 
Well, one one of the things that you know I decided to include in in the book, which is something I normally wouldn't, is a a chapter on you know child abduction and parental alienation, um, because it's not just me. You know, it's not just me, and it's not just my child. Although those are obviously extremely important things to me. People don't understand how prevalent child abduction is, and and what we call parental alienation, which is where one parent alienates a child against another parent. Um, I would bet you, because not a single card or letter that I've sent has gotten through to McKinley, not a single birthday present that's been sent has gotten through to him, I would bet you that they've told him that I'm no longer alive. So this child is going to, you know, who's now five years old, who's going to you know, be on the Internet very soon and be able to find things out for himself, is going to find out that his, that his mother and his grandmother and that family lied to him. You know, I can only imagine the further damage that's going to do. Uh, is she a flight risk? Of course she's a flight risk. And I, and I don't blame her either way because either she risks the wrath of family and the people for whom she's worked or she risks the wrath of law enforcement. These are not good choices. At or the both. moment, you know, she sits or, or both. And or at the both. moment, she sits so much. It's true. Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. And, you know, like I said, some people have said to me, are you, well, why did you come forward with this? Aren't you putting McKinley in danger? And I said, for sure. I said, but, you know, there's a point after 29 months of this, uh, 29 months of this not getting worked out in some way, where, you know, you have to do what you have to do. This child has a right to a life, and what happens is, is that he's been kind of basically kept, basically kept indoors, doesn't go to school like a normal kid, does not have the normal opportunities of a normal kid because of this situation. And you know, so his life already has been diminished, even 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 without father involved. His life has been diminished by what are essentially child abusers, and that's something that needs to have light shed on it. You know, this is child abuse, and when parents do this, they are abusing their children. And so, you know, whatever good I can do in the system, which I've worked in for 32 years now, uh, my father was one of the top family attorneys in the country. You know, he worked on a ton of legislation to try to stop these very problems. So, you know, kind of in his honor, you know, I say to other parents out there, I understand. And I've heard from parents who have had similar things happen. You know, the system is broken, and especially in Arizona. And if I can use my voice to fix that, then I've done some good. And this, I wouldn't say this is worthwhile because damaging even one child is never worthwhile. But at least it will give purpose to all of this. Lance? I mean, look, I, you know, he summed it up really well. And at the end of the day, any father would be operating in exactly the same way that he is. I mean, who wouldn't want to defend any honorable and help father? Their... Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. Any honorable father. I mean, I know if it was my own child, I would have all the same concerns Mr. Thaler has. What I think is so relevant was Ms. Brieger said was, you know, it's this attack thing, Sam. Whenever there's a real story, whenever you're over the target, and they come out of the woodwork. They attack us because that's their way to discredit the real stories. This is a real story. These are facts. Our uh, election system is under attack. We are being controlled by outside countries, by uh, cartels, by criminal organizations in D.C., whether it's the super PACs or the dark money or the, the foreign agents that are controlling different politicians. Listen, this is so important. And the more we get attacked, the more we realize the truth is. So, I don't, you know, I don't know where we go from here. I'm not sure how we do it. I mean, George and I discuss this constantly. You know, how do we fix this? What's the solution? How do we take back control of our country? And we always talk about that it has to happen at home. It has to happen at a grassroots level. When stories this massive come out, 
We have the to key continue right now is the new, media, the new media taking center stage because if enough people can learn about it, then we can come together. As Miss Brigger said, the key right now is the new media taking center stage, though. One hundred percent. I'm convinced that that's one of the grand keys. Their gatekeeping narrative is gone in the media now. And now all we got to do is grow our audiences. People are flocking to us and jettisoning the mainstream press. What we need is the funding to, to, to propel us to the next level is what's next. But then I think we can help uh, Mr. Thayer uh, and we can help uh, well, Ms. Brieger let, let me, and these let, people. Let me, let, me make, well, let me make a comment about this, too, because sure. this is one of the things that people need to understand. One of the things that happened in Arizona, although cartel monies had been involved in Arizona for an awfully long time, obviously, that's, that's nothing new. But after Donald Trump won the presidency on, you know, in November, uh, I believe it was November 3, uh, or no, actually, I don't remember the date, I, it was somewhere in November in, in 2016. The day after he won, when it became clear that what he was going to do was shut down the border, at least as best as a president could with presidential authority, that's when the cartels went into action in Arizona and other states. If you look at the activities, if you look at the drug surge, just look at the drug surge of fentanyl. Um, what you see is that the moment Donald Trump became president, you have this surge of intake of drugs. And that's because monies had to be raised to get him out of office. Now, I I'm not going to comment across the country on whose machines worked or whose machines didn't work. I think that's a very complicated question, whether the outcome of 2020 overall was affected. I think it's a very complicated question and not one that simply, you know, simply, you know, the commentators would say he, you know, he won, but he didn't, but he lost. He I think it's very complicated. But what I would say is this, you know, if you're running a multi-billion dollar empire and a president of the United States is going to do things that are going to shut down your business, if you think that there's not going to be a, not just a flood of money to the other candidate, you know, dark money, especially as you talked about to the other candidate, but also infiltrations into county systems to be able to change outcome, then you don't understand what a multi-billion dollar industry is. Roger that. Jacqueline, John, we're flat out of time. Thank you so much. We'll never solve it in two hours, but I will say this. The way we solve it is the new media taking center stage. The way we solve it is to keep our eye on the ball and stick together. Miss Prieger is exactly right on that reality check. Uh, for John... For Jacqueline, for George, for Lance, and yours truly, Sam Bushman, we declare we the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will save the greatest country on the face of the earth. God, save the republic. <laughs>